if you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 1, we'll be reading there in a moment. But first I want to ask you a question. Um, and it's this, what do you, what do you love most about Christmas? What do you love most about Christmas? There's so many things about Christmas that are fun. It's a great time of year. Uh, I think someone has said it is the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, we sing that song, but um, maybe it's it's the music, songs like that, or the, we sung these Christmas carols. I wish we could sing these all year long. There's such good, uh, deep truths that are in those. Maybe you love Christmas carols and singing Christmas carols, or maybe you're someone who loves giving gifts. This is my mother. We have to rein her in so that she doesn't give our kids too many gifts. There's people that just love the spirit of giving gifts in the spirit that Christ has given himself. And you just you love to give gifts to your family and to your friends. It just brings you joy. You know that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so you just love to give at Christmas time. Um, maybe it's the, the food. You love the food at Christmas time, like uh, Christmas cookies or Christmas ham um, or turkey maybe. Or I'm not going to pronounce this right. I talked to Mark and to Matt about this, but Punto Boombong. You know, is that, is that all right? We have a kid song that talks about Christmas around the, ro- the world, and they say that in the Philippines, they eat purple rice. Punto Boombong is fun to say. That's how the song goes. So I've never had it. I hear it's pretty good, but hard to make. So <laughs> maybe you love that. That's what is Christmas to you is, is the food. Or maybe it's it's stories. Isn't Christmas a time of stories? You think about, I think for our generation, stories are found in movies a lot of times. Um, you think about the Christmas Carol, about this story about Charles Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge and how he uh, comes to, he's full of greed and there's that story of redemption at the end. Um, or maybe, have you, have you seen It's a Wonderful Life, the, the Jimmy Stewart classic where he thinks his life is um, is is worthless until he realizes what it would be like if he had never been born. and um, He sees that in this story of hope and redemption. Or, or maybe that great story of, you know, Frosty the Snowman with the magic hat. You know, snowman comes. I mean, this Christmas is full of all these, these stories. It's a time of, of stories. Of course, it's the greatest story. It's the story, the true story of Christmas. It's the reason Christmas exists. The story of God becoming man. And it's a it's a beautiful story. Only the difference between the story about Jesus is that it's it's true, it's real, and it's the most fantastic of all the stories. Really, you think about all these these stories, and they, they involve some sort of magic or you know um, something that's that's unbelievable that happens in these stories. But the most unbelievable story of all is that God became a baby. What an amazing thing! It it's it's a miracle. It's, Christmas is truly a miracle that God could could become a human being. It's an amazing story. It's a true story. It's it's God's story, and, and we see the New Testament, the, the Book of Acts. It kind of opens with this this flurry of activity. All these things are happening, and, and what what makes it even more striking is when you think about what was going on before this. Um, Especially if you go all the way back, some of these songs that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, they give us that, that feel for what it was like to wait for the Messiah. We, we go all the way back, even, even to Genesis, where the, that, that first promise is made in Genesis 3.15, where, where the, the serpent is cursed and God says, but, but one is going to come from your seed who will crush the serpent's head. And so from Genesis 3.15 on, 
We're waiting for this one to come. And we see God making promises. He, he makes that promise um, to Abraham. He speaks to Abraham. And he says that you will be greatly blessed. And he gives him that, that threefold blessing. Um, in our house, we say that, that uh, when we do our family devotions, the, the blessing was that he would have lots of children, um, that he would have the land of Canaan, and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. So there's this great promise to Abraham. And then we, we see God speaking not only to Abraham, but then to Isaac and to Jacob. Um, and then we see him speaking to Moses, and he draws the people out of, um, out of bondage in Egypt and takes them into the land of Israel. Under Joshua, God speaks to Joshua and encourages him. Then God speaks to the prophets like Samuel. God speaks to, to the kings like David. And we see other prophets later on, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those minor prophets that God is, God is speaking. He's, he's talking. He's telling uh, what is going on. He's talking about this coming Messiah. He's also bringing rebuke and he's, he's turning the people back. He's, he's telling them about his love for them. And so God is, God is speaking and he's, he's saying one is coming. The Messiah is going to come. We're waiting for this one who's going to come. He continues to speak through the prophets. And then all of a sudden, as Malachi, the last of the prophets, puts his pen down, there's 400 years of silence. The God who has always been speaking to his people was suddenly silent. And the people waited. They waited as they had always waited. They waited for this word from God. and They were waiting for the Messiah. But there was this, this silence. And it took 400 years. You think about 400 years. 400 years ago would have been the year 1611. The world's changed a lot since 1611. 400 years of complete silence. That's about four seconds of silence. Multiply that by 7,889,231. That's one year of silence. <laughs> Imagine 400 years of silence. Imagine if you went to bed Christmas Eve. Everybody loves Christmas Eve. Even if you're not a kid, you're waiting for it. It's a fun day. You went to bed Christmas Eve and it took 400 years before Christmas Day came. Oh, my goodness. The anticipation would be there at the beginning. You'd be filled with anticipation. But after a while, you'd wonder, is is it ever going to come? I mean, is God ever going to start speaking to his people again? That may be what the people were wondering. Is is the Messiah ever really going to come? Has, has he completely cut off communication? Is the promise not going to be fulfilled? So there they are wondering in the midst of all this silence for 400 years. And then, all of a sudden, what I love about the first few chapters of the Gospels is there's angels everywhere. There's angels talking to, to Joseph that we read about. There's angels talking to Zacharias. There's angels talking to Mary. I mean, when did you see so many angels talking to people? The angels show up to the shepherds and they're announcing that something is coming. So all these years of silence, all of a sudden, there's just angels everywhere telling that something is coming. I don't know how, how widespread were these stories. You know, how many people knew that the angel had come and spoke to Mary? I don't really know how many people knew about the angels showing up to to speak to um, to the shepherds, but we know that you know some maybe thirty years more or less later they they knew that God was doing something when um, 
John the Baptist was out there at the Jordan River speaking in the spirit of Elijah, saying, you know, I am the forerunner. There's one coming soon after me. So all these years of silence. And, and add to those years of silence, all these years of waiting back to, to Abraham. Even back to Genesis 3.15, like we said, waiting for the Messiah to come. Waiting and waiting and waiting. 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, it's like someone turns on the lights and, and the angel starts saying, it's, the Messiah is here. And John the Baptist says, the Messiah is coming soon after me. Make your hearts ready. For, be prepared because he is here. Like we read in, in Galatians 4, the fullness of time had come. And God turned on the lights and, and it was now time. It was time for the Messiah to be here. It's an amazing thing to think about. But when the angels first broke that silence in Luke chapter 1, there's actually a couple different responses that happened. Zacharias and Mary were the first people to, that, we, that we meet here in Luke. And these, these stories are parallel. Especially in, in most of the Gospels, you see John the Baptist and Jesus are kind of together. There's a back and forth between the two stories. And, and even here before they're born, there's a back and forth between Elizabeth and Mary, between Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary. They're talking about these two different stories that are going on. And so as we look at these, the question I just want to kind of ask this morning as we think about the Christmas story, it can become sort of mundane and something that we're, we're just used to, to hearing. So I want to ask this question. What, what is your reaction to the miracle of Christmas? What is your reaction to the miracle of Christmas? Because we're going to see two different reactions that eventually become the same reaction in Zacharias and Mary. We're going to read Luke 1. We're going to read a good a good chunk of Luke chapter 1. So I want you to engage with the scriptures. Remember that this is a true story. This isn't Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This is a true, actual story that, that really happened. And if you put yourself in these stories, it's an amazing story to think about what was going on here. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 5. We'll read um, all the way through verse 38. And then we'll stop there and talk about some things. But Luke chapter 1, and again, engage with me here as we read God's word to us. This true story, this amazing story about the coming of the Messiah. Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while, they, while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer, outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, 
and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. And she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a cool story. It's amazing to look at some of the details of this story. If you look back at um, where Zacharias is, we think about Zacharias being chosen to enter the temple by God's sovereignty. He's the one there. and God knows he's taking him in there because he's going to have this angel come to him. You notice the parallels that in, in both accounts, the, the angel has to say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zacharias. Don't be afraid, Mary. An angel was an imposing figure, obviously. He tells them not to be afraid. And then he tells them these miracles that are going to happen. The, the miracle that, um, that Elizabeth, even though she is old and barren, is now going to have a son. I have to wonder, it says there, um, the angel in verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. Zacharias maybe thought, what? 
What petition is that? It says, And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. I wonder when the last time Zacharias prayed that prayer was. It had been, maybe been years ago, and now God was finally answering this promise that he was going to give Elizabeth a son. We look at, at Mary, and, and Mary's response to the angel it says, as it often does about Mary in verse 29, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. She's very introspective about what's going on, thinking about um, what is happening. But the angel comes in in both instances. He tells them something amazing is going to happen. This miracle is going to happen. And they both respond in different ways. Zacharias' response is in verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And you see Mary's response in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now they both respond with, with questions. But I think the context helps us to see that, that there's a question that's born out of just wondering what this is going to be like. And there's a question that's born out of disbelief and a lack of faith. Zechariah says, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, the next verse, I would never want to hear Gabriel say this to me. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He kind of says, this will happen because I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I'm speaking with some authority here. That's your sign. And it says, I'll give you another sign. Verse 20, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. I made that sound like Gabriel was angry at John. I don't think that he was angry necessarily, but it shows, not John, I'm sorry, Zacharias. Um, but Zacharias, his response is, he doesn't, he doesn't believe. Zacharias responds with disbelief and a desire for a sign. He says, I need to see something that will prove that this is going to happen. And so the angel says, I'll give you a sign. The sign is that you will be silent until the baby is born and you will be unable to. Zacharias responds with disbelief. Mary responds with faith. It's what I would call wonderstruck faith. It's it's not that she doesn't see that this is a miracle and, and is unsure how it's going to happen. She does ask, she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? But I don't think it's a, how can this be, Lord, you can't do it. More of a, how are you going to do that? I, I'm a virgin. This doesn't make sense. It was a unique miracle if you think about Zacharias and Elizabeth. Is this the first time that God has blessed an older couple with um, with with a baby? They all knew the story of, of Abraham and Sarah. They knew that God had blessed Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And so Zacharias knew how God could do this. He knew that God could do this. But Mary says this is something totally unique. This has never happened, that, that a virgin should become pregnant. Lord, how, how are you going to do that? It's almost more inquisitive. Like, oh, wow. Lord, how, how are you going to make that happen? And then there's the explanation in verse 35 that shows how miraculous and amazing this is, how divine it is. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Pretty amazing to think about these responses. I, I don't know how I would respond if an angel showed up to me. I think I might respond like Zacharias on most days with this disbelief. But maybe some days I would respond like Mary with this wonderstruck faith. 
And the response, though, is that we see that Zechariah is struck dumb, and God does what he wants, and Mary willfully submits to God's will, and God does as he pleases. God accomplishes his will. And the one thing I just want us to see very simply from this is as we think about Christmas, we think about this this fulfillment of these long-off promises, that God is faithful to his word, that he will do what he says he will do, and he accomplishes what he says he will accomplish. But it's it's verse 37 that strikes me, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that's part of the message of Christmas, I think, that with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. I think that we celebrate Christmas every year. And, and it's good because it's easy to forget this. But the other thing is it's so easy to just say, yeah, Mary was a virgin. She had a baby. Or, you know, um, Zacharias and Elizabeth were older and they had John the Baptist. And these angels appeared. And they showed up and they called the shepherds to come. Do you see how amazing this is? That God could do this? That, that God would would become man? Even as Mary asks, how, the, how is this going to happen? It's, it's hard to understand what's going on in verse 35. What does that mean? That the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What What is that? How does God become a, a baby? This is a miracle. And it's only possible with God. Because with God, all things are possible. So I think we, my, my question is, what, what is our response to, to this Christmas miracle, to the miracle of what Christmas is? Do, do we believe that God has, can actually become man, that the, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary in this, this act that, that God became a human being, became a little tiny infant? It's an important question to settle, to understand what, what do we think? Do we really believe this? Because it, it, it answers so many other questions. Well, let me read you something from, from J.I. Packer that, from this book, Knowing God, that always strikes me every Christmas as I think about um, God incarnate, which is the title of this chapter, God incarnate. And he says, he says this, he says, It is no wonder that thoughtful people find the gospel of Jesus Christ hard to believe, for the realities with which it deals pass our understanding. I think we need to embrace that. That it's 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 not strange that people find it hard to understand the gospel and to believe what the Bible says. Did, did you read what we just read? It is amazing. It, it's it's something that's beyond our, our capability to understand apart from the Holy Spirit. But he says this, but it's sad that so many make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulties in the wrong places. And then talks about how people have problems with the atonement or with the resurrection, or with the virgin birth, or with the miracles that Jesus does. And he says, those aren't really the place to go. He says this, but in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us, does not lie here at all. It lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man, that the second person of the Godhead became the second Adam, determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine 
as he was human. He goes on and talks about this, and, and at the end, uh, he says, the incarnation is in itself an unfathomable, unfathomable mystery, but it makes sense of everything else that the New Testament contains. What, what you do with Christmas determines, determines everything. I think if I could put that Packer quote just kind of in a few phrases, I would say, if Jesus really is God in the flesh, then of course he can do miracles. If if the baby born in Bethlehem that grew up to be Jesus was really God in the flesh, then of course he can die for the sins of all human, of, of all humanity. If if he really was God in the flesh, then of course he can rise from the dead. So the issue is when when we're confronted with the truth that that God became a human being on Christmas, if we believe that, then it makes sense of everything else. What you do with Christmas determines what you're going to do with Good Friday and Easter and everything in between there. Because if God is truly made man, then nothing is impossible with God. Luke 18 is when... Jesus uses this same phrase that Gabriel says. Luke 18 is the story of the rich young ruler, and we see it elsewhere. But this rich young ruler, you remember, comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and Jesus says, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, I have done all that. And Jesus' response is that, well, then you need to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. What was the issue? Was it the riches? No, it was the man's heart that he had idols above Jesus. He was worshiping something besides God. He was looking at his own achievements as a way of gaining favor with God. And Jesus says, no, you've got to give all that up. You need to come to me with nothing. The disciples see what happens here. And, and Jesus says in verse 24 of, of Luke 18, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it, e it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. I, what I draw from that is that because Jesus was the God-man, because he became a human being, and we see that testified in Luke chapter 1, he then can say, I can save anyone. I can, I can bring forgiveness of sins. I can become the atoning sacrifice for his sins. If he's not the God-man, then he cannot do those things. The miracle of Christmas dictates not only the fact that Jesus can do everything that, that we believe that he did, everything that he says he did in the Gospels, but that he also can save us from our sins, that he can redeem us, that he can make us his children. That can only happen because Jesus was God in the so I guess as I look at this, uh, just to, to bring it home, so what is your response to the, to the miracle of Christmas? Because our, our response to the miracle of Christmas determines our understanding of Jesus. It determines what we do with the rest of the story about of salvation. Maybe you are you're skeptical, not just of Christmas, but maybe of the entire Christian faith. Maybe you do have problems with the resurrection or with the miracles or certain aspects of what we believe, or even the second coming, that Jesus is coming back. Maybe you're saying like they said when those 400 years of silence were, maybe they hit 
year 399, he's not coming. There is no Messiah coming. Maybe you're saying that all this stuff about the second coming where Jesus is coming back, I just don't believe it. Like we read in, in one of Peter's epistles that people are saying that it's not going to happen. You've grown skeptical about your Christian faith. What I would say is don't don't look at those specific things necessarily. Yes, investigate the resurrection. I think there's plenty of proof for it. But I think we go back to this and we say, if God is truly, if God truly became a human being, if Jesus really was 100% God, 100% man, if that was possible, then he can do whatever he wants. For with God, all things are if Jesus really is God, then, then all things are possible. So take your skepticism and go go to Christmas. Go go to, to Jesus in the manger and say, do I really believe that this baby is God in the flesh? And if he is, then he can do anything. He can do anything that he wants. Maybe you, you, you look at this and, it, and, it's, and it's become too, too rational. It's become something you just kind of say, well, this is how it happened, you know. And maybe you've tried to delve into verse 35 a little bit too. I guess I just want to say we need to embrace some of the the mystery of Christmas. Part of the the, the thing about the resurrection is that it's it's historical fact. I mean, it's something that we can we can look and we can see that there are all these eyewitnesses. We don't know what happened in verse 35 when it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, and the Most High will overshadow her. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. That, that's something that's a mystery that we cannot fully delve into, to understand how God, how the second person of the Trinity, who is everlasting and who holds all things together, how could he become a baby, a dependent human being? How is that even possible? I think we seek to understand it as best we can, but there's a point where we say, it's too wonderful for me. But with God, all things are possible. He can do whatever he wants. And he has done it. And maybe maybe we need to look at this and just remember afresh that with God all things are possible. That, that maybe we disconnect the the miracle of God doing this at, at Christmas time with, with the rest of our lives. God is powerful. With God, nothing will be impossible. The same God who can do the miracles that occur in Luke chapter 1 is the same God that we serve. The same God who lives and resides in us as the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity lives and dwells within us. And with him, all things are possible. I think the encouragement that, I, that I've been drawing from Luke chapter 1 is, if this truly is what God did, then God can do anything. If God truly did become man, then God can do whatever we ask him to do. And we need to trust that he can do anything, far above all we could ever ask or imagine. If Christmas is true, with God all things. So I think that it's there's all this talk about the magic of Christmas or the the beauty of Christmas. I think this is the true miracle of Christmas is that God became flesh. And if that is true, then apply that to every other area of your life and say, if that is the God that I serve, all things are possible. He can do whatever he wants. C.S. Lewis famously has said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not because I, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. 
there's a sense in which I think the incarnation of Jesus is the is the sun rising. It's the thing by which we can see everything else more clearly in the life of Jesus and him coming and, and bringing salvation to us. It makes everything else clear. It's easy to be Zacharias. It's easy to begin with doubt when something this amazing and fantastic is said to be true. It's easy to look for a sign. But we want to respond like Mary. We want to respond and say, I'm the bondservant of the Lord. We want to ask, this is amazing. How are you going to do this, Lord? I don't know how you're going to do it. I believe that you can. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe you can do it. Tell me, how, how are you going to do this? It's, it's this wonder, at this, this simple faith that says, with God, all things are possible. The response of both Zacharias and Mary, their response initially to the angel was different. But we find out that the response later is exactly the same. What's the first thing that happens when, when Zacharias' mouth is loosed and he's allowed to speak again. You see it in in um, Luke one sixty seven, and his father speaking of of John and John's father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people." And he goes on to worship God as the God who can do anything. And what's Mary's response? You see it in verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. When we grasp that God can do anything, when we grasp that that He became human, that He lived a righteous life, that He died in our place for our sins, that He calls us to repentance and faith, that He rose from the dead and He wants to give us new life, when we see that, what is the response except to praise Him and to say with God, all things are possible. If God can redeem my soul, He can do anything. So our response is, is worship. That's so much of what we've, we've sung this morning is come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. There is so much to worship in Christ. And we don't just worship Him as this, this infant who never grows old. We worship him as the God-man in the flesh who grows to become our Savior, to become our atoning sacrifice, to die in our place, and to raise and to give us new life. Christmas is a miracle. It tells us that with God all things are possible, even the salvation of our very souls. And our response is to worship him.